0: Thanks worship team. Appreciate it. Good morning everybody. Good morning. Okay, Good to see you out here. Good to see some new faces and some mature faces and I won't say older faces because I know that that's in, not politically correct anymore. Well, welcome back from summer vacation. Uh, yes, summer is fully over. Uh, the kids are back to school. The weather's cooler. The nights are getting longer. Ministries are going to be up and running. So, Uh, We're glad you're here. Kelly and I put Hezzy, our five-year-old, on the bus this week for his first day of kindergarten. Um, We were looking back, you know, when he was really, really young. We didn't think he would even be able to walk or talk, much less get on a bus and be fine with it. So uh, it was an emotional time for the two of us, Uh, but it was good. He made it through the first three days of school, and uh, he's doing okay. So. Uh, if you can, uh, today we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 1, so if you can, please stand for the reading of God's word. Uh, again, if, you, if you're new here or if you don't have a Bible, uh, there's Bibles out in the foyer if you want to take one for yourself, that's, we would love to give that to you as a gift. Uh, we'll be in Ephesians chapter, chapter 1, verse 19 through 23, and then we're going to skip over to Colossians chapter 1. Uh, it's going to be on the screens behind you. So Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19 through 23. which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And we're going to flip over to Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 through 20. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him Amen. You may be seated. There is a lot in those verses to unpack, so bear with me. But when I first began studying the Bible, I wondered why it was important for me to know the greatness of Jesus' power. I would skip right over that stuff and get to the the how-do-I-live section of Paul's letters. I wasn't sure how this stuff was relevant. What did it matter if God raised up Jesus and put him in heavenly places? Why does it matter if I know that Jesus created the world? What is all this talk about visible and invisible and thrones and dominions and powers? It kind of sounds like a Lord of the Rings reference to me, right? What I've come to find out is not only is this important information and not only is it relevant to daily life, it is foundational to how we think and therefore how we believe. Paul says this in Philippians 1, or in Philippians. He says, I count everything as lost, Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Why is knowing Jesus of surpassing worth? Because our values and our choices are determined in large part by our affections. As Ralph Waldo Emerson said, that which dominates our imaginations and our thoughts will determine our lives and our character. If we know and love Jesus, then our hearts and our lives, our thoughts and our actions will lean in his direction. Now, in our Western society and culture, we have become accustomed to thinking we have everything under control or that we control everything in life or almost everything. For example, our nation has been a superpower ever since most of us in this room have been alive, right? Up until recently, we considered ourselves the most powerful nation on the planet. We believed that we controlled the planet, at least militarily. Some of us hold the belief that we control the weather, or at least how the weather affects us, right? We have weathermen who are experts and can tell us up-to-the-minute cast of what's going to come and how to prepare for it until a hurricane comes and destroys everything in its wake. Then we begin to point fingers at people as if it was someone else's fault. Some of us boast and brag about controlling the world's economy. The US dollar sets the standard for strength and weakness of currencies all around the globe. Interestingly, I think we are waking up to the fact that our nation is beginning to be dwarfed in size and influenced by other nations. Some of us think that we have control over our health. We put billions of dollars into the healthcare industry. We have the top scientists studying and testing to see if they can eradicate diseases. We buy whole foods and we purchase supplements. In the end of the day, however, we simply breathe the wrong virus or slip on the ice and our health can deteriorate very, very quickly. Some people are now working on cloning living beings, priding ourselves in the false idea that we can create life. As a society, we try to control if and when a baby's born. We try to control when and how we will die. We try to control who can and can't live in our country. We try to control the temperature of the planet. We try to control the population. We try to control everything. And when we find that we can't control, that we really are weak, insignificant balloons filled with just a lot of hot air that talk all day long, we begin to worry, we begin to get grumpy, we get irritable, we get angry, we gossip, we isolate, we lash out, we manipulate, we try to take back control. This is why knowing Jesus and the greatness of his power is so vital. He's the only one who actually has the power over life and death. He alone controls the armies of the world, the temperature of the earth, the weather, where a hurricane will go, the stock market, your life, my life. Knowing he's in control and truly resting in the truth takes the pressure off of me to try to control everything. And this perspective then changes everything. It is of surpassing worth because it leads to peace of mind, it can lead to kindness, it can lead to community, to rest and to love. Now last week we looked at the beginning and the ending of Paul's prayer for the Ephesian church. We looked at how Paul prayed for the churches that they would have wisdom and revelation, remember? Wisdom and revelation regarding four things. I don't expect you to remember those, so I wrote them down in my notes, and I'm going to tell them to you. But four things, the knowledge of Jesus, the hope of his calling, the riches of his glorious inheritance, and the greatness of his power. And over the course of the next four weeks, we're going to look at each of those topics, those four topics, throughout chapters two and three. These two chapters contain truths that are not a rabbit trail at all, but they're a continuation of the prayer that Paul begins in, in uh, chapter one and ends in chapter three. And he, he expounds upon the blessings we received in Christ. Paul is modeling a type of prayer that is not all consumed with requests and petitions, but is more of a conversation between him and God. Paul is facilitating a conversation between God and the church and us. He's reminding Jesus of Jesus' role in the church? And is he reminding us of Jesus' role in the church? And this is good stuff. So I'm excited to share it with you. So here we go. Are you ready? First point. Jesus has the power to create and sustain life. Jesus rose from the dead. Verse 19. That towards the end of this, this, uh, this prayer, he says that we would know the immeasurable greatness of his power According to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places. Throughout the world, there's one thing which everyone can agree upon. Immortality is the pinnacle of power. Think about it. It was actually what we were created for, but no longer have. So there's this innate desire to have it. Mankind has been searching for it ever since. The world over. You go into the deepest, darkest jungles, they're still looking for immortality. The fountain of youth, anti aging this, anti aging that. Subject of movies, Avengers, and everything else, right? The climax of God's power was when he raised Jesus from the dead. Consequently, it's the focal point of history. Jesus is the first human to be immortal, he's the firstborn, as we read in Colossians, from the dead. The resurrection is one of the most important events in history. The resurrection of Jesus demonstrates God's power. He has power over death. We know that he has power to give life. We see it every day. We see birth. We see new life outside. All that stuff happens all around us. But the resurrection answers the the question, does God have the power to reverse death? Because no one in this room can reverse that on their own. And it's more difficult to do. And the answer is a resounding, yes, he does. Through the resurrection, Jesus defeated the power of sin, he defeated death, he loosened the grip of death, and he annihilated the rule of Satan. And Jesus still lives. All the people who were raised from the dead in the Bible, if you read through the stories, all died again sometime later. However, Jesus remains alive in his body as the firstborn from the dead, and as such, he ascended into heaven, and he lives in the presence of our Father as our advocate. Very, very important. Second thing here is Jesus created all things. In Colossians 1, 15 and 16, it says, He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him and all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. All things in heaven and on earth, He created all the stars, created all the galaxies, the suns, the moons, the planets, black holes, nebula, asteroid fields, and space. What is space anyway? It's nothingness. He created all of that. Think about it. He created earth. He created air and fire, dirt, sand, ants, elk, grass, ferns, trees, diamonds, butterflies, elephants, helium, carbon, horses, beetles, mosquitoes, and mallards. I like mallards. <laughs> such creativity, such creativity. From the powerful to the delicate, from the large to the microscopic, Jesus created it all. Now wait a minute. I said Jesus created it all? Did Jesus really create it all? Yes, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But how did God do this? He spoke it into existence. Remember? What is Jesus called in John chapter 1, verse 1? He's called the Word of God. God, through the Word of life, Jesus created everything we see and everything we don't see. Visible and invisible. All the things I mentioned are obviously the visible things that we see every day. But there are invisible things that he created as well. Yes, there's spirits and angels and atoms and molecules, but he also created thought and will, friendship and truth and grace and peace and justice, and love, the things that we can't see and are intangible. And then Colossians says that he created thrones, dominions, rulers, and authorities. And Ephesians says rule, authority, power, and dominion. There are those words over and over again. These are all designations of ranks of spiritual beings that he created. What they look like, their purpose and function, what their existence really is like, we don't really know, it's a mystery to us, but someday we will know. Someday we will see with our eyes and we'll be awestruck by the invisible things that God created, that Jesus created. Jesus created all that there is in the spiritual realm and the human realm, and he rules them all. They are ultimately subject to King Jesus. So since Jesus created all things, since He has the power to reverse death, since He's a good God, as we've been learning, and a gracious God, then by logical conclusion. He should be able to control our lives, right? We should allow him to be able to control our lives. The thing is he's ultimately in control anyway whether we let him or not. He's in control. Why not rest in it instead of always trying to wrestle it back from him? Why do we always try to wrestle control back from God? Remember, he's the only one who actually has the power over death and life. He alone controls the armies of the world. The temperature of the earth, the weather, where the hurricane's going to go, the stock market, the spiritual beings, angels and demons, the population, who's in power, who's not in power, your life and my life. Knowing he's in control and truly resting that truth takes the pressure off of me trying to control everything. And I think that's the point of Paul's prayer that our eyes would be enlightened to know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. All his power is at work in us and through us and around us. Recognizing that God's power is infinite and that it is at work for us can lead to peace of mind in chaotic situations. Kindness towards one another. Prayer for spiritual growth and maturity for those around us and those in distress. Love towards the unlovable and our enemies. Gratefulness to God for what he has done and what he has given to us so jesus has the power to create and sustain life the second point is jesus has the power to rule and govern the universe jesus co-rules in heaven in verse 20 of ephesians my page will flip there that he worked in christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him above or seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. This power that we're talking about is not only power to raise from the dead, it's also power to seat Jesus in heavenly places. Next to God Almighty, as the all-might, as the all-powerful sovereign of the universe. Jesus is not just ruling earth or a lesser planet. God did not delegate authority over for him just to rule one, like, people group on the face of the earth. God raised Jesus up and he seated him next to him in heavenly places at his right hand, which is the seat of power and of influence and of authority. So Jesus is also a ruler and potentate of all created things, of the whole universe. This is Jesus, the baby born in a stable, the son of a carpenter, the one who never owned a home or traveled more than 100 miles from his house, the one who was crucified on a normal hill outside of Jerusalem, the same Jesus is the one who is seated in the heavenlies and rules as king. He's our savior, he's our brother, he's our friend, he's our king. And what he says goes. And Jesus is the fullness of God. Verse 23 here, skip to the end. The fullness of him who fills all in all. In Colossians 1.19 it said, for, him, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. In case you were wondering, or in case you hadn't picked up on it yet, Jesus is actually God. And this is crucial. If he wasn't God, he would have been a liar, or a lunatic, as C.S. Lewis says. He He would not have risen from the dead, and all of us would be hopeless. The fullness of God dwelt in him. That means that all of who God is was housed in Jesus. All God's power, all his wisdom, all his attributes, Jesus' body was the temple of God so to speak. He was the dwelling place of God. He represented God to the world. And listen to what he said in John chapter 14. He said this, So Philip said to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. And Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak of my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. This was a deal breaker for Jesus. It was a deal breaker for the Apostle John who wrote a letter, 1 John, in First John chapter 4, verse 15, he said, Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he is in God. It's crucial that we believe that Jesus is God. If we don't or we can't, then all of this becomes mute. Because what we are saying then is that he is simply a man. But if he's just a man, then we're following a liar because he claimed to be God. And all that he did for us would be nothing. Because he wouldn't have been able to rise from the dead. It would all have been a a hoax. And Paul would have been a madman because he claimed that Jesus is the fullness of him who fills all in all. And this letter would have been, we could have written this whole letter off. But Jesus is God. He's the second person of the Trinity, which we discussed a few weeks back. And he has authority over everything on this planet and in this universe. And Jesus co-rules everyone and everything. Verse 21 and 22. So he put him in heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. Colossians 1:17 says this, says, "And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together." He rules the weather. Remember when Jesus got out of the boat? or was in the boat, and he calmed the storm, right? He rules the weather. It might be something we need to know as we head into winter around here in, in, the, in, in Wisconsin. But Jesus actually does control the rain, the snow, the wind, the storms, the sun, the heat, the cold. Humans can do things that affect it, but nothing we do is outside the control of God. Global warming, carbon footprints, nuclear explosions, oil spills, whatever they may be, we can rest assured that God has, or Jesus has ultimate control over it all. Even though all creation groans, Jesus will ultimately unite all things in him. Creation will be renewed in the end by Jesus. He's above all rulers and human, both human and spiritual. Jesus' prayer, remember last week we looked at this, Jesus' prayer that as he was teaching the disciples how to pray, it reminds us that we have no power in and of ourselves to do anything. He said this, he said, Give us this day our daily bread. All of our needs are met by Jesus. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. The power to forgive and live in community comes from God. We can't do it on our own. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We're not strong enough to fight temptation or sin or Satan. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Hear that word power in there too. Jesus ends his prayer by setting our gaze upon the ruler of all rulers. God the Father, and because God the Father has chosen to set Jesus at his right hand of authority, then this prayer is also directed at him. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Jesus rules it all. Jesus is above every name that is named, it says here. This means Jesus is above Kim Jong-un, Vladimir Putin, Donald Trump, Nicholas Maduro, Mark Zuckerberg, and even Aaron Rodgers. His name is above every name that is named, all of them. No one is there without his first approval. There's no human authority or spiritual power that can supersede the rule and reign of Jesus. I think we forget that sometimes. We forget it. But he rules and reigns it all. He's above all gods and goddesses and every name that is named, in Philippians it talks about this. But Jesus rules over all, whether fictional or real. Remember we, talk, we talked about Ephesus at the beginning? It was the center of worship for Artemis, the great goddess of the Ephesians. All the world, it said in Acts, knew of her and came to worship at her temple in the midst of the city. But she had not she didn't have the power, she wasn't really real, but all the world thought it what she was. But during that time, if you were to hop over the Aegean Sea to Athens, right? The residents there worshipped a pantheon of gods, the Greek gods and goddesses, right? The Greek gods and goddesses. In a world preoccupied and consumed with and convinced of the lore, the culture, the tradition surrounding all these gods and goddesses, Paul, all of a sudden in the middle, puts a halt to it and he claims that Jesus is above them all. Paul lists the categories of, of all these and then he tacks on above every name that is named, not only now, but in the years to come. So this means that Jesus is even more powerful than what we are consumed with today, right? He's more powerful than Thor and Batman and Iron Man and Aquaman and any other superhero you can imagine. Now, it might sound silly for me to say that, right? But they're, even though they're fictional, in our, in our minds and in our world, they, they, they mean something. They're kind of like the Greek gods and goddesses and people, people look to them. And Jesus' is, point is, above them all. No matter what name is named, Jesus is above them all. He has authority over demons. Jesus cast out demons in a man in Mark chapter 1. Spiritual beings are real. There are angels and demons, good spirits and bad spirits. We should not be preoccupied with them, but we need to be aware that they're out there. Paul in 2 Corinthians says he's not ignorant of Satan's devices. Like, he knows that they're there. It's important that you know your enemy. When Jesus cast out demons as it says in the Bible. He actually cast out demons. It wasn't a primitive cultural misunderstanding of mental illness. Jesus has power over the spiritual realms. At the end of his letter, we'll study later on what Paul says about spiritual warfare. For for today, I want to, to leave you with this. There's a very real battle going on out there in the spiritual realm. Most of it we can't see, but Jesus has power even over that. The truth is that no demon or spirit or angel or devil is outside the authority and power, ultimately, of Jesus. He can heal the sick. He gives sight to the blind. He has power and dominion over sin and darkness. Jesus can forgive sin because he's God. He has power to raise the dead. Remember the story of Lazarus. God has put everything under the feet of Jesus. Jesus rules and reigns from a place of authority and power. What comfort to know that our loving Savior rules the weather and humans, all spiritual beings, all demons, all government rulers, all internet hackers, all diseases, all handicaps, all sin, and even death itself. There's no need to worry. He can handle it. And Jesus co-rules forever. This wasn't just Paul's time. It's also in our time. And in verse 21, he says, he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church. I don't know if you back up, sorry. Verse 21 says, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Here and now, it's one kingdom. Jesus and the Father rule one kingdom. It's not divided, it's entirely under their control. In the age to come, so there's a hint of different ages in relation to the kingdom of God the kingdom as we experience it here and now in our lives on this planet and the kingdom which is to come when everything will be renewed. They rule them both. The point is Jesus has authority over both now and then. In essence, he has authority over time and space. He created this concept called time and yet he is not bound by it. He rules it. He governs it. He can bend it. He can change it. He can stop it. He can hurry it up. He can see right Jesus rules now and forevermore. And Jesus has the power to rule and govern this universe. After hearing all this, I hope that we have a renewed appreciation and admiration for Jesus. Not just a carpenter. He's the authority, the authority in this universe. He's the man, as some of us say. He's also the I am. He's entirely powerful, totally undefeatable, 100% dependable. And here's where it all comes to bear. Jesus has power to rule the church. He's its head. Jesus unites us in himself. Remember way back in the early part of chapter 1, verse 10? God's plan and purpose in the fullness of time was to unite all things in him, things in heaven and on earth. Colossians 1, chapter 1, verse 20 says this. It repeats it kind of. It says, in all, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on heaven or on earth. Through the Holy Spirit, we are engaged. We talked about this a couple of weeks. We're engaged to Jesus. We are united with him through, though at this point, not fully, right? As we studied a few weeks ago, the Spirit is the engagement ring or the down payment, the promise in good faith that full payment will be made and the full union will be accomplished in the future. Being in Christ is an awesome thing because not only can we rest in the fact that Jesus is in control and not we, but all his power is at our disposal. Remember last week we looked at Ephesians three twenty and 21 and it says this, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly then all we ask or think according to the power at work within us to him be glory in the church because we are united to him he can truly accomplish the impossible through us and what is this impossible thing? number one, I think it's Jesus unites us with one another he unites us with one another 22 and 23 back in Ephesians. He put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Colossians 1.18 says, he is the head of his body, the church. Verse 20, and through him to reconcile to himself all things. Jesus not only unites us to himself, but he unites us to one another. He brought peace between us and God the Father, and he brings peace to us who would normally be enemies. He united us. The church is the fullness of Jesus, who fills all in all. Just as Jesus was the physical manifestation of God to the world, remember, now the church is the physical manifestation of Jesus to the world. We are his body. When the world looks and sees us, they see Jesus because we are his body. We are the fullness of him. His fullness is seen in the gathering of his body in unity. None of us can be the fullness of Jesus by ourselves, on our own. It takes all of us. He fills all in all. Catch that phrase? He fills all all of each one of us, in all of us. It is necessary for us to gather, to be one, to worship him collectively, to fellowship, to bear one another's burdens. For out of this collective love for one another, Jesus is fully manifested to the world. He has power to do it. In any church you find yourself, here down the road, 30 miles away, 100 miles away, you're going to find major hurts in a congregation. There are people who have left with scars. There are people who have said things that they can't take back. KMCC is no different than any other church. But here's the cool thing. If Jesus can unify us with God and the Spirit can take us as his enemies and make us God's sons and daughters, then we know that through his power, Jesus is fully capable of taking this ragtag group of individuals and causing us to be more and more unified so that we exemplify him to a dying world. He can do it. And this was his plan. This was his plan. God's will is that we be unified in Christ. Jesus prayed for it in John chapter 17. You don't have to turn there. I'm going to read it to you. Jesus' high priestly prayer Jesus prays this I do not ask for these only meaning the ones he was with but also for those who will believe in me through their word that they may all be one just as you Father are in me and I in you that they also may be in us so that the world hear this that the world may believe that you have sent me the glory that you have given me I have give to them that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them, even as you love me. Jesus wanted us to be unified. In our unity, the world realizes who Jesus is. It's profound. God is pleased when his children dwell in unity. None of us can live the Christian life on our own. I don't care who you are in this room. You think you can do it on your own? You're out to lunch. You're not going to make it. We need each other and God designed it that way. We were never meant to be alone. We need one another. If we know this is God's will for us, then how are we doing at our part in making this a reality? In chapter 4, we're going to look at it in a few weeks, Paul urged us to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Jesus' power and authority at our our disposal for this purpose. And Jesus is the head of this church. And I felt like I needed to key in on this today. Jesus is the head of KMCC. I've read all kinds of church growth books, and I've sat through countless hours of vision casting seminars, and I've... I've I've been at places and other stuff where I've had to write down five-year plans for churches and organizations. And people have asked me since I started here, what is my goal for this church? What's our vision? And it's simply this, that we would know Jesus through studying his word, talking to him through prayer, that we would follow him in obedience by loving one another. And it's that simple. This is his church. He is the head. He is our shepherd. He promised that he will lead us. He promised that he will unite us. And I have every confidence that he will lead us as we commit to these things. Studying his word together, praying for one another, obeying Jesus by loving one another. And in our unity, the world will look at us and they will see Jesus. And that's a cool thing. Jesus has the power to lead this church. He has the power to unify us. And He has the power to lead us. Now, Jesus, right before He was killed, He gave His followers a means by which we could remember these two things that He is our Savior and He's our Head. And that His power unites us together in love. This remembrance is what we call the Lord's Supper. And we're going to celebrate that today in a few minutes. When Jesus was eating with his disciples, he took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, and he said this. He said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup when he had given thanks, and he said, take, drink of it. This is my, the blood of my covenant. Remember the covenant that we talked about? The covenant is that God is doing this for us and through us, Right? This is my, the blood of my covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus gave us this remembrance, and then he went to the cross, and his death took the place of our death. His blood was shed so our blood did not have to be shed. His body was broken so that we could have life. Now here at KCC, we believe in an open communion, which means that if you have placed your faith in Jesus, as your Savior, and you have a desire to follow Him, then you are free to partake of the elements, and we would, we would welcome that and remember Him together with us. If you've not placed your faith in Jesus, we lovingly respect your decision. We won't judge you. But we simply ask that you refrain from participating. Um, today, an elder and I, um, Bill Fry, is going to come up, and we're gonna we're gonna serve the bread and juice to you. Um, we did this last time, but we'll stand in the front of the aisles right here, and. Um, we're going to hold the trays and we ask that you exit your seats and come up one of these aisles that you get uh, your, your elements and then you go back around the outside of the room and find your seat again. You can eat the bread whenever you would like. Uh, ta- save the juice at the end. We're going to drink uh, together. All right. Um, so please come forward. Bill, why don't you come on up. Please come forward and receive the elements in remembrance of his shed blood. Let's drink together. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have control over all things. We thank you that you have blessed us with Jesus' death so that we could have life, so that we don't have to die, so we have a future with you, and so that we can be a witness to a dying world. Thank you that we have hope of a future because of this the death of Jesus. I pray that as we remember your control, your rule, and your reign in our lives and in this world, that we would be encouraged, that we would be emboldened, and that we would be truly in admiration of who you are as we go into this week. Thank you that we can trust you as a good God, and as a God who leads and guides. And we thank you that you are the head of this church. We praise you, and we give you honor and glory. In the name of Jesus, amen. So take time, greet one another as you leave. Um, There is coffee, and my friend Zalyn Holmes brought cookies today, so there's coffee and cookies and snacks out in the the lobby, so feel free to take a, a few moments and just linger and talk and fellowship. Ask another person how you can pray for them. It's a great way to start a conversation. And now stand to receive this benediction. May our Father grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ, that surpasses knowledge. Amen, you are dismissed.